This week's episode of The Cool Room is brought to you by the online wine courses at benandwine.com. With over 20 years' experience in the wine industry and over a decade of running beginners' wine courses in real life, Ben Knight is now offering them on your desktop via Zoom or Skype. Whether it's a birthday party, drinks with friends, or even a thank you to staff and colleagues for another week in lockdown, this is a great way to treat someone. There are four course levels, the cheapest of which is just $28 per login, and there's options where Ben will get the wine delivered to you and all the other participants, so all you need to do is open the bottle and then let Ben open your mind. There's a whole range of great wines on Ben's list from Australia and around the world, and if you're into only red wine or only white wine, then Ben can make that work too. I've known Ben for years, been to many of his tastings, in fact he used to run them at Mr Griffith's in Kensington, and that's why I'm so happy to endorse his events. To find out more, just go to benandwine.com. That's all one word, benandwine.com. Me and my friend are walking to a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find somewhere close hello listeners and you're in the cool room thank you for joining us again we're putting out a lot of content at the moment and we really appreciate the fact that people are listening in and also doing exactly what we ask people to do at the start of every uh episode which is rate and review us on itunes or wherever it is that you might be downloading the podcast from uh sharing this on your social medias making sure that you follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you can hear and see not just about the kind of things that we've got coming up for you in Cool Room episodes, but also links to some of the information from the people that we speak to. And today we're speaking to Ben and Scott from the Plough Hotel in Footscray, and they've got a great uh, program that's going on at the moment to not only make sure that that venue can keep uh, supplying great food and drinks to people, but also supply food and drinks to the healthcare workers out in the western suburbs. So we're going to get on to exploring that in a little bit. But first of all, I should introduce my co-host for the day, Travis Bristow. Welcome back to the co-host chair, Travis. Afternoon, David. Afternoon, evening, wherever it might be when people are listening in these like strange that, times. Yep. And Travis, you've organised Ben and Scott, so you, do you want to introduce them for us? Certainly can. Uh, ben and Scott from the Plough Hotel, welcome to the cool room, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Pleasure. Great. Well, Travis has already taken a sip of his beer and did all other responsibilities. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to get a, get a bit of a sip in. So, guys, um, just to start us off, can you give us a quick, quick rundown on... Uh, your roles at the plough and uh, oh, how you came about being there. Absolutely. I'll, I'll let Scott go first. He's a little bit older than me and he's been here longer. So I think Scott should sort of... And he's got an apron on. on. Yeah, he's got Fantastic. an apron on. Yeah. It's for the Instagram shots. He likes to look <laughs> like he's uh, doing something. I better grab a couple of those. So, so remember to keep smiling for the next 20 seconds. Yeah, take the screenshots. <laughs> no, no. So we've genuinely had a day on the tools today. Um, it's been nice to be in here with, with a few, few of the crew. Um, trying to keep ourselves sane and keep ourselves busy and do a you know do something worthwhile while we're uh, while we're all experiencing a little bit more downtime than we used to um, but I I've just ticked over uh, six years of the plow on St. Patrick's Day which was um, mm. unfortunately the last weekend I think that we were here um, I arrived here 
Uh, I'm a local, um, always had an eye on it. Um, I thought it's a great venue and I really love what's happening in the area. So for me to, to work um, close to home and also be a part of the resurgence of the Western suburbs and watch Footscray grow, um, all my family are here. It's just, uh, it's, it's just been a lovely, lovely experience. Nice, very, very good. Um, and you said you're, a, you're local, so you live local. Um, that's always a good thing, given you don't have to travel too far to get to work each day, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's always a bonus. Kids at the local schools as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of fr- familiar and friendly faces I see on my day-to-day commute and while at work. And I should add that I, yeah, I'm the head chef here. So that's my, uh, that's my role. Perfect. And, uh, and Ben, how about yourself? So my name's um, Ben Foster. I've been here four years. Um, started here as general manager. Uh, the guys who own this pub um, and resurrected it um, and did the reno were ex-bosses of mine at the Kent Hotel, which was one of the first places I worked when I came to Melbourne. I know the Kent. Uh, I know the Kent all too well. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I've been uh, 20 odd years in Hospo and um, I really love pubs. It was always my first love um, growing up as, you know, sort of being dragged along with your, your dad and mum to, to, was always a pub that sort of caught my attention and probably half the reason I got into hospitality. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to get back into pubs uh, and ended up back at the Plough. I live over in Northcote, so it's a bit of a drive for me, unfortunately. But um, now four years, fast forward, I'm now area manager for the both pubs, so the Kent and the Plough. Um, and have a general manager at each pub underneath me. So I've worked pretty closely with Scott and um, obviously uh, just with what's happening at the moment, we're um, just trying to adapt and change um, and do something worthwhile with our time. So uh, that's me. Amazing. So we'll, we'll come back to what you're, you're doing in this period of time, obviously, um, and have that discussion in a bit. Uh, let's, let's hand over to David, who's going to uh, ask you the... Uh, the cool room questions that uh, we always ask our guests when we have them on. Um, David, over to you. Thanks, Travis. It feels like a far more professional outfit today than we've managed in ages. So, look, the first question that we always ask people is about the first time you had a drink. And we always sort of preface that by saying, you know, we don't mean the time that, you know, great-grandma let you have a little bit of a sip of a Tia Maria or, you know, Mum said it was okay to have a wine mixed with 10 parts mineral water or something at a family Christmas when you were 18. We're, well, 17 even. Uh, we're asking about that time that, you know, you properly had a drink and properly remember, you know, that as a, as a, a moment, whether at that time or the next morning, that, um, that impacts your life still to this day. <laughs> Scotty? Mate, I'm probably too old, I reckon, to remember back that far. Some dodgy pub in the way out in the eastern suburbs i don't know eastern suburbs makes a nice change from the northern suburbs parks yeah, that often yeah, get yeah. As... i always remember there's a bit of an age difference between my brother and myself and i remember getting shipped up to hang out with him on school holidays up on the gold coast when he lived up there and i remember being dragged around i would have been getting into venues a little bit underage um and that would have been pretty special i think um so you know one of those pubs on the gold coast years ago Oh, the mind boggles. What about which, which were the eastern suburbs ones you used to hang out with when you were in that? Oh, I grew up. I grew up at the foot of the Dandenongs. So, the Swagman. Um, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'm sort of a bit too young for that, but it's, it's definitely out that way. It had been cleansed by fire by that stage. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe area, I think, was one of the was one of our rites of passage going out at the Croydon Hotel. Mm. The Croydon Beautiful. Hotel sounds delightful. Delightful venue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, how about you, Ben? Uh, well, for me, um, my folks were. I grew up in a place called Sale in um, East Gippsland. I know it well. Um, and my folks are very social people, loved hosting a party. So a lot of their significant birthdays and things were sort of held at our, at our house. And there was always a marquee and that sort of thing involved. I, I'm pretty sure the first time I really had a good taste at it, a real good go at it, was um, working the bar for my dad's 40th birthday with another bloke, a mate of mine. We got dressed up with our bow ties and all that sort of stuff and thought we were pretty cool. And um, uh, we were allowed to have a few, a few uh, sevens, I would have thought. But we um, probably ended up doing quite a few more than we're supposed to. And uh, anyway, I think the parents were too drunk to really give a shit or notice. So we just kind of uh, carried on through the night. And um, for better or worse, that was kind of me hooked on hospitality. And I'm just trying to remember what pubs in sale. Is it the Star in sale? Yeah, yeah. Star, which uh, had the infamous nightclub EJ's. Um, I feel like I may have been there, but I'd probably rather not remember. Yeah. Uh, there's the club uh, there was, uh, which had the, the actually even more infamous nightclub ringers, which was a great concept. Um, <laughs> the Star, the Sale Hotel was actually yep. my folks owned. My grandparents actually owned that. My dad was born there, apparently. Um, so again, there was publicans in the family, I guess. So that's probably that history there. Uh, the Criterion has actually had a big makeover. It's a great pub now, um, and that's on the freeway as you come through Sale. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Like um, like any country town, there's probably more pubs than is really necessary, but you know, they're, all, they're still all there. That's just one man's opinion. Yeah, <laughs> true. I feel like last time I was in sale, um, I went to the Criterion and they'd, uh, they'd tried to make it look a lot fancier than I remembered it being. Yes. Um, yeah. But it still had that, that vibe that it always had back in yeah. the day where... It was a bit seedy, but you still hung out there because it was, you know, right on the main drag as you came into town. Are you saying they've run out of it, but it's still seedy because of the locals or? Uh, a little column A, a little column B, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's my family you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. The reason I was in sale was I had family there as well. So All right. um, I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. When I make jokes about Bendigo, I'm, I'm the only one who's allowed to. <laughs> yeah. I could um, be worse. I grew up in Shepparton, so. Oh, there you go. Uh, we always, you know, love to talk about craft beer here on the podcast, and always interested to hear for people if they have a memory of when they had the the first beer that they characterised as being a craft beer. Many different definitions have come up over the years, depending on when it is that you first started, sort of drinking beer and so forth. Different generations of what now gets interpreted as craft beer, but. Can you remember a time when maybe you had something that wasn't a vodka cruiser or a, you know, Carlton Draft, a, a beer or even a wine, whatever it might be, and you went, yeah. wow, yeah. here's a drink that's interesting? Well, beer-wise, I think for me, it was Cooper's was the one that, that kind of um, was my first taste at it. Um, so the first time I had a pale ale was the, the Cooper's Green um, and then got into the sparkling as well, the sparkling ale. So that was pretty different. I mean, I grew up with, uh, you know, folks drinking Melbourne, uh, what is it, VB stubbies, VB cans, um, 
crownies on special occasions. So that kind yep. of that gives you a pretty good basis of where I, my habits growing up. Um, so moved to Melbourne and then, yeah, I uh, had a few mates thinking they were a bit trendy and starting to get into those kind of craft beers, but like literally Coopers would have been mine. Mm. Study. Yeah. Um, uh, I think living in, I lived in the UK during the 90s and I remember, I just remember always uh, Camera. Yeah, campaign for real ale. Yeah, campaign for real ale. i always been a big fan. Particularly, I got a bit of heritage in um, in South Wales, and a lot of those sort of um, those hand pumped beers. Um, always keen, I think, as a chef to try different flavours. And I think when you do get those beautiful, fruity, quite quite light, really, I guess, sort of three and a half, four percent beers, um, when they're served right, cool, as opposed to room temp i think if you get a cool a, an underground cellar is the key that's for me but uh, yeah I, I just remember being blown away by the by the flavor i just thought it was fantastic it, particularly leaving melbourne in the early 90s when probably all i'd wrap my head around was um melbourne and vp was there a particular little pub over there or a particular beer that you oh, remember mate, that sort of hmm? there's hundreds <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> yeah so, and that's what i like I, I think that that regionality where you only have to actually travel you know, 10Ks up the road and it's a different culture with its own brewery. And I think that's, that's, there's a bit of a resurgence going on there. You know, you talk to a local and they haven't seen, there's beers which have been around for years, which are in a, you know, a couple of villages away and they've never seen them before. Yep. Um, so I think that, that yeah, for me, particularly, uh, you know, I love it. The opportunity to try new flavours and new beers and stuff is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. <laughs> This is another one of the questions that we always ask and we always pre have a little preface to it. We'd love to hear about, you know, your favourite current place to drink in Melbourne. In this case, we'll have to exclude the Kent, the Plough, the Royal Mail. They're all givens that, you know, we all love to drink there. But when you're not at work and you're looking for something, you know, a bit different, where do you like to have a drink? And are there places that have sort of closed but you have fond memories of from, from yesteryear that you sort of wish you could get in the time machine and go back and have a, a beer or a wine or a cocktail at? Uh, I'll, I can put that one off. Well, one, a place I've been to is, but I, I went recently. Well, before all this craziness, um, there's a standard hotel in Fitzroy. Yep. I, I lived on a, a had a share house with another bloke for a couple of years, and they're just happy memories, you know, being able to knock off uni and work and whatever, and have a night off and head down there to the beer garden. Beer always tasted good. The food was decent, and um, just a great vibe. And um, I don't know if it's just me being older or whatever, but I went down there a few Fridays ago before all this happened and um, just, uh, yeah, it was just electric. Everyone was there. It was really a good night and going off and I thought, shit, I just forgot how good a pub it was when it's really cranking on. Yeah. Uh, but I love Fitzroy, you know, we talk about, you have to talk about the northern suburbs again, but that's, um, that's where I've always lived around that side of town and I just think the vibe of some of those pubs, are, you know, like the Napier and some of these places, just it's just got that uni student vibe, but it's... Um, it's just relaxing, you know, and fun. So that's mine. For me, uh, I think I've still got a soft spot for the... used to be involved with the courthouse in North Melbourne, and I think, I think I've got a bit of a soft spot for that because it, the, it was one of those first places that actually had a bit of a craft beer. I remember how much of a challenge it was for us as operators to, um, to introduce craft beers to a really stoic and traditional crowd um, and how much effort and time it took but to be a part of that early, like, I mean, I'm, I remember it was probably Brad Rogers at, uh, what are they called out at, what used to be the subsidiary of Matilda Bay. Mm. Um, and I think those guys that, you know, without those guys actually doing what they did, 
um, really pushing the, pushing the envelope a little bit. Uh, it, yeah, it was just a great experience. And I don't think at the time you realised um, how fundamental a change was underway. Um, so, so I just think it was a really, really special time. Probably some, not so much the pub and my involvement with it, but being a, yeah, being a part of that, being there, yeah, you know, being a part of that change was was a fabulous experience. Yeah, there's still a really fun pub crawl to be done down Errol Street, and you can always continue on and get to the Royal Mail with just a yeah, yeah, fifty yeah. metres on of. Yep. But yeah. we weren't talking about the Royal Mail there, so that's yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Scott, I guess we sort of touched on your well, one of your favourite places to drink overseas, but. We love to sort of hear stories of fun places, whether they be sort of formal drinking establishments or beaches or places that I can justify to Josh Frydenberg that, you know, I need a tax rebate for travelling overseas and drinking at. What what should I be, what pin should I be adding to my world map? Uh, mate, uh, last year, we're, we're over in Japan and a couple of the, I think the, is it, there's a uh, Drunkard's Alley in Tokyo, which is all the bars basically hold about half a dozen people. And I, I was just... It's just an amazing experience to be, I think, like, like it's certainly not um, like a classic kind of, um, like, a, like a classic bar experience, but to be part of a culture where um, it's all about having a good time and fun and being in a bar that holds a dozen people and everybody, everybody's conversation is, you, it's a shared experience. And for me, that was just a, I, I just loved it. I, if, if anybody's going to, um, to Tokyo and I, that's something I I definitely say. Yeah, you need to you need to pay a visit if you like your booze and you like your chat. <laughs> um, for me, um, well, I was just lucky enough to spend three months in the Cook Islands um, in Rarotonga, which is the capital. Now, there's um, one we haven't. Hang on, I've got to I've got to make sure I look that up in my atlas and put the pin in correctly on that one. Yep. Yeah, the pin will take the whole island, so you'll be <laughs> underneath that. Uh, it's a pretty small place. It's only you can drive around it in about forty minutes. Um, and there was my wife and two kids, and uh, it was three months is a long time to be somewhere. But we just had a, I give them a shout out because it's one of the most recent kind of um, overseas travel I've done. Um, but there was Charlie's Bar, which was um, run by a couple of um, people who lived in Australia for um, Charlie and Mary, their names were, and now a couple of locals who lived and had uh, hospitality venues in Melbourne, which you could kind of see the way they did it. It was a little bit cooler, just had that Melbourne vibe, bit of a fit out. More uh, coffee. Great, great beach, yeah, good coffee, that sort of thing. There was um, a lot of musos there, which um, which was our favourite thing about it. They, um, they had a really great set on a Saturday, and we'd just go there and drink uh, margaritas, which were cheap, and... Uh, for some reason, they were the only one on the island who could get fresh mint, and um, so they do um, and fresh herbs. So they do these beautiful cocktails, which they just did that, made that little bit more of an effort with it. So, um, yeah, that was my kind of uh, recent overseas experience of enjoying somewhere different. Yeah, Charlie's. There you go. Very nice. There you go. Now, the the last of the traditional cool room questions, and traditionally the one that people sort of stare blankly a little bit at, but. You know, you guys have both been in hospo for a long time, so we'll see what sort of secrets you're willing to give up. I always like to hear what's the strangest, funniest, most existential, most, you know, whatever it might be, experience that you've had inside a cool room. Can you, can you? Let's go, man. And it's also the bit where people, people self-censor on this one more than, more than the other. They normally yeah, tell yeah, one yeah, very yeah, mild yeah, story about a piece of celery that used to hide in the corner. And then they tell the real story of the most bizarre experience they've had in a call room. So. 
and I reckon I've, I reckon I've been able to uh, basically have a full-blown relationship under cover of putting stock and repositioning produce. Uh, Is that a carrot in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and managed to get away with it, I think. Oh, well, I thought I might have got away with it. But <laughs> I think that's... Yeah. Was, was, <laughs> was the person you were having the relationship with someone who like worked elsewhere in the venue or just someone who hid out permanently in the cool room behind her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another, another, another chef. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure she was, she was... You know, we were both into it. We were both enjoying ourselves. Um, little, little time out was was a bit of fun but i think that's probably one of the uh i'll go out and get a couple of onions i yeah, too will right. go out and get a couple of onions just gonna get them one at a time <laughs> <laughs> and is uh is said person melbourne based are they likely to listen to the cool room and then you get a I doubt, call going, are, why did you tell that story it was, a, it was a very long time ago uh it was a very long time ago that cool melbourne has been torn down yeah. <laughs> um well what can i add to that um Look, I'm trying to think what's, uh, I've got one story about a, a, a young bloke who started working with us and he was quite a short, stocky little fellow and we sent him in to get uh, a bottle of champagne which is up the top of the thing and he decided to climb the um, shelving and pulled the whole uh, rack oh. down on top of himself, smashing about $500 worth of booze and getting stuck in the cool room. <laughs> um, so, and us yelling at him from the other side, trying to get him to, to push the... Yeah, anyway, it was a nightmare. So small cool room, pulled, it, pulled the shelf down across the, the, thing, the door and couldn't get out. So he was stuck in there for about half an hour. Uh, so that was a really great Friday night. Um, it always happens on Friday night, about 5.30. Everything, yeah. The cool room always breaks down on a Friday, doesn't it? Standard, yep. if not Saturday. Um, yeah, that's probably my story, I guess. That was, uh, that's the one. Yeah, I can... I, I think anyone who's worked in hospitality, no matter whether it's champagne, we can we can feel your pain on that one. Oh, mate, nightmare. So, what we've got you guys on to talk about is pretty exciting and a, and a fantastic thing for a venue to be doing. But Travis, do you want to lead the way? And it was, that was perfect timing. Travis put the candle oh, no. in his mouth just as I started this. <laughs> do you want to lead the way, mate, and speaking to the guys about what it is that they're doing with their meals for healthcare workers deal? Sure thing. So, I mean. Part of the part of the reason for the chat today was to see what you guys have uh, been up to at the plough in relation to the current situation we all find ourselves in. Um, venues obviously aren't allowed to be open uh, for public sit-down meals. However, you guys have no doubt put your brains together and come up with uh, ways around the shutdown crisis uh, to keep you guys going, but also um, the understanding is you guys are trying to help out the community and uh, try to be making a bit of a difference and hopefully uh, perking some people up along the way. Yeah. Um, do you mind? I'll, I'll start off. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously with me being area manager, we've got two pubs, um, but I guess the plough is really geared up. It's got a larger kitchen. We've got big walk-in quorums and things like that. A lot more space. And obviously with the current, um, you know, sort of working around people and stuff. We were very mindful of that early on. Um, I think with the government uh, playing catch up with, you know, this information's coming through every day, every week, things were changing. The goalposts were changing. That four metre rule threw us mm. all to fix. And then we sort of, um, we're, yeah, constantly was trying to 
keep our venue open, obviously keep people employed was our first concern um, and obviously help pay our bills. Um, but when we finally got the, the order to shut down, uh, I think we were, it took us a, a good week or so to really uh, sort of get our heads together. I think we were probably ever a bit flat. Um, a lot of people were putting out the takeaway food option. Uh, I think I kind of felt like maybe that wasn't the correct thing for us to do straight away. Uh, I think our owners were, were also a bit concerned about um, about spending more money and having to, to do that straight away. So we kind of all went away and uh, Scott was um, he's a keen writer, keen writer. You call him cyclist or writer, mate? Yeah. Writer. <laughs> and he um, uh, cycles with a few doctors and things like that. So he kind of came to me with um, talking about doing something with uh, healthcare and independently two of the owners um, came to me separately about doing something for, you know, in, in that sort of sphere. And um, so I kind of collectively kind of took it away and put something t through to, um, to everyone and said, look, can we, how about we approach Western Health? Western Health is um, uh, the overseas, the Footscray Hospital, Sunshine Hospital, as well as a few other um, healthcare centres. Um, and they're great supporters of ours here at the Plough. We get them down for their functions and often they come in in teams for lunch and things like that. So we uh, contacted them and just said, look, uh, the concept being that if we can um, find a way to make it profitable, uh, keep a few people employed, uh, make a little bit of money to help pay for our utilities and things like that, but then also do something that's going to benefit them, um, you know, I think it might have legs and, and kind of stand up over the, the period of time which we're talking, which could be anywhere from, you know, six months if, if, you, if you believe what you read. So, uh, so that's what we we get week two now. We've done our first week, and that's the concept is if you spend um, for every thirty dollars someone spends, we donate a, a meal to the to the hospital. Um, so last week was our first week, and uh, we managed to get fifty six meals down there. And you know, mm. look, just uh, it was actually quite emotional for me. I think for for all of us, Scott and I went down. It was actually quite a um, a nice thing to do. I think you know you kind of forget why, when you're in hospitality. I think a big part of it is you know, you, you want to give and you, you sort of last few weeks have been pretty flat me sitting at home cooking for my kids and <laughs> wife is sort of like, you know, they take it for granted, I'm sure. But anyway, it's, um, it's just nice to get back and spend a day in the kitchen with the guys to kind of see that all that hard work come to fruition and, and then see the end result was just a really great experience for me personally. So, yeah, so we're into week two and we're just, you know, hopefully we can sort of keep building on it. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Scott, as as head chef, um, how how does the scheme fit in with you? Um, are you still just uh, using your existing menu? Have you created something different in relation to what you're doing for the uh, the Western Hospital, or is it all much the same same? Um, it's sort of variations on a theme, I guess. It's it's definitely not what we would normally serve, but it's definitely it, 100% using the flavors and the techniques and the style that we're known for. Um, I think, uh, I think we're basically, you know, we're, we're family orientated. I think, um, our flavors are, you know, they're bold, but they're relatively simple. And I think that what we're trying to do is, um, offer something that is a little bit reassuring for people. Um, and they can enjoy uh, probably a, a almost like I'd like to think of it as like a family family dinner experience. So we're trying to I guess adapt what we do here, um, so you can uh, you can have something at home 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is both familiar, but, you know, fantastically flavorful. That's, that's the bottom line. And are you guys selling uh, takeaway beer as well with the meals? How's that, how's that balance working out? On Yeah, so maybe you can give us some advice here, guys. But we're, um, if, uh, like a lot of pubs, I think we've been caught sort of short with a, a lot of um, open kegs. So they can't, we can't return them. Um, so my sort of first thought was to try and at least use that stock. Um, you know, between two pubs, we're talking, you know, a couple of grand's worth of beer that we've paid for, which is, yep. is going to spoil if we don't sort of use it up. So, um, so looked online and tried to find, uh, I think with the current laws, the way it is, you can't really reuse growlers and things like that, like handing things over. So I've bought 362 litre milk cartons, which are not designed to go under pressure with since <laughs> found out. <laughs> they, they, um, How did you discover that? Yeah. Well, we fill one up, and um, you know, it's it, look. They last. They do last. They last a night, anyway. <laughs> haven't had anyone complain yet. But we're doing two letters for ten bucks um, for any of our craft beers, and uh, look, it's basically what we paid for it. We just want to. I just don't want to waste it. I think in yep. hospitality, you kind of, you can become quite frugal in certain ways. I hate wasting things. Like even that wine sample that you didn't really like, if it sits in the fridge too long and no one takes it home, I get pissed off because. Yep. <laughs> You guys just shit, you know, stock rotation, all that sort of stuff. So I just want to make sure we use that that up and get some money um, back into the venue, help pay for that beer and obviously be able to pay our suppliers if possible. And then um, and then from there, we, we might uh, approach one of the local breweries. Um, these guys, maybe, oh, well, if, they're, if they can, I haven't spoken to them yet, so I probably shouldn't say anything. Then I won't name whose T-shirt you were pointing at. I was going to... The, uh, for the benefit of listeners who uh, only listen, this is a podcast rather than looking at my monitor right now. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Ben's pointing to his Top Nation shirt. Oh, yeah, the concept. Right, so I can do anything I want right now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Take my top off. Um, yeah, so Hop Nation. Oh, look, they're obviously local and we'd love to do it. We were going to, um, I think I'm jumping ahead a few questions here, guys, but we're, we're doing oh, it with them for Melbourne Food and Wine which, uh, you know, so disappointed for, obviously, for Melbourne Food and Wine Festival primarily, but obviously also for ourselves because uh, we were so looking forward to, to getting in and sort of, you know, smashing out some of their beers. So look, we'll cross that bridge once we get rid of this, um, the 360 bottles of milk that need to be um, farmed <laughs> out. Um, and then, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll do something. But definitely we've got the bottle shop licence. We're, you know, gen- we've got a general licence so we can capitalise on that. Um, so... Hopefully, when people come and pick up their family-style meals, they think about what they might want to drink. Now, someone that lives in my house, being my partner, <laughs> told me that you've got a brown ale pudding on Thursday. Oh, oh yeah, yep. So, how do I acquire some of that? <laughs> um, mate, head yeah, head to our um. Head head to our website or Instagram page. The link in there. There's a link in there to the ordering process. Um, that's yeah, and it's on there for good reason. It was it was requested by a customer. Um, it's the only dish. It's the only dish that's never changed in the six years that I've been here. And I think when Ben started, we did the maths on it. Maybe I don't know, but that must be going back. To, yeah, at least three years, and we'd sold ten thousand of them then. Amazing. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. So the whole that that was a dish that came with me from another venue that it. Uh, that I honestly I, I made it simpler here because it's such a big venue and we sell so many. But by simplifying it, I actually improved it. And it's um, it's always the whole concept was beer and nuts. 
So it's a, it's a brown ale pudding with peanut praline, Moscovado sugar. It's just, yeah, look, it's, it, it hasn't come off the menu for a reason, but yeah, if you head to either our website or there's a link on our Instagram page, which will take you to our website where you can get on board and order it. Are we allowed to ask you which brown ale you use? Uh, two brothers. It's funny, actually, when I first started, when I first um, worked that dessert out, we had two brothers on tap. Mm. I, can, I can use other beers, but it's also really nice that we've actually got the two brothers brown ale on tap again at the minute. Mm. So that's, it kind of honors the tradition, which is really nice. Amazing. So it's always been the two brothers brown ale. You've always used as much as possible. Primarily. Yeah. I, yep. You know, it's not a particularly, it's not a particularly um, bitter uh, beer and, I, and it just works really well. Mm. Very nice. Uh, I think I'm going to go have to order some of that. Mm. Please do. <laughs> and am I right in saying that people need to order, that you can't just sort of ring up on the night and say, I'd like a pudding delivered in 20 minutes' time? Um, no, not, not the... at the moment. We're, um, we're just trying to get, uh, I guess, you know, conceptually for me, it was about turning up and doing a big batch of cooking, like a real day of cooking. And then coming in and, and doing the deliveries to the hospital and stuff uh, on one day so people can come and pick up their meal. If we can make that work, it, it kind of um, simplifies the process. I don't think we have to have staff in the venue the whole time. You know, we're not cooking to order, that sort of thing. Um, that's the concept we've come up with and it sort of works, I guess, uh, for us at the moment. So we might stretch it out to have multiple days where we're here two or three days cooking and two or three days picking up. And then in, obviously if that happens, we'll be um, probably a bit more flexible with what we can offer, uh, you know, increase the range. We've already increased a few things. Um, the brown ale puddings wasn't on last week. It's on this week. So, you know, we're sort of slowly building on it. Um, yeah, we're just trying to keep our, our costs and everything under control so we um, we can really afford to, to, to really nail this um, meals for a healthcare worker as well. So we've just got to make it work in that, in that frame. Yeah, so, well, yeah, so jump online. I think one of, nice, one of the nice things as well is actually getting together. I think mean, a, lot, a lot of the every time I ask one of the guys, do you want to come in and give us a hand? It's always, you know, it's always a resounding yes. And I think that the, um, I think the ability for us to check in as a crew and have a chat, listen to a few tunes and give each other just a bit of shit, a bit of banter, I think is, is, is just as a great excuse, you know, to yeah. get out of the house and, and, and support one another. Yeah. Yeah, something we all, uh, all need to do in this crazy time is, um, you know, get out and support each other and support the local businesses at the same time, uh, or the ones that are still operational. Um, and getting out of the house is a, a great thing to do. Although I haven't done that much lately. I feel like I'm <laughs> full yeah, well, isolation. for me, it's a bit of a balance. I mean, I, like I've got, uh, you know, um, my wife works from home as she has done for a while, but it's sort of like me being stuck at home is like, I, I can keep busy. I can cook, I can garden, I can do that. But we're, we're at week, week three of what could be six months. So look, mm. let's, um, you know, I think and seeing what now, I know I'm going to go crazy if I'm locked up at home. So I think it's a balance between looking after your health and looking after and doing the right thing by, you know, not contracting anything at the moment, um, touch wood, but also, mental health and actually giving back is important too. So, you know, we've got to just balance, find a balance and try and work through this whole shit thing. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I suppose maybe just, you know, one final thing we've touched a bit on the impact and what we're trying to do of, you know, in the time of COVID-19, do you guys see any big changes to sort of hospitality life 
whenever it might be that the doors do reopen? Do you think it'll be straight back to business as usual or, you know, will we emerge into a different kind of, kind of industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, do you know, I think I'm still processing what we're experiencing to, to have a clear, you know, without a crystal ball to have a clear answer on that. But I, I certainly think there's going to be a, a new normal. Um, I, you know, I, I, and, and I guess for us, it will depend on whether there are restrictions on capacity when we reopen. Um, so I'm not sure whether it will be straight back to normal or what that, but I, I 100% think there will be a new normal. And I, and I think that uh, all of us are probably reassessing um, what, our, what our requirements are, what our day-to-day -day requirements are, um, what, what we really need in life and what, what matters most. So how that, that flow on and how that works for us as hospitality professionals. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think there will be a new normal. Who, who knows what it's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think what Scott said as well. But um, for me, I think, um, you know, when that four-metre rule came in, spacing-wise, four-metre squares uh, for one person, we did the math at both pubs. And I think the bigger venues, in some respects, are lucky because you can, you know, there is a, a way of fitting people in. Like the little hole in the wall with, you know, a row of tables down the side and people sat at the bar is, is going to struggle to fit more than four or five people in where they could sort of max out with 20. So I don't know how that works for them. Um, so in that respect, I guess having a larger venue, you could argue that you might be one of the luckier ones within to work in that framework. But as we all know, you know, staffing costs are so you need a certain amount of staff to, to work a space, uh, wages, pressure. There's all those things that we've got to work through, which we were constantly on top of trying to be, get on top of before this happened. How does that work when you're, when you're getting less covers through i don't know so that's going to be a challenge i think there's going to be a real shake up which um you know we're talking about you know award wages and things like that and obviously there's two sides we don't love to be able to all you know um to make money and look after our staff and and, and do everything the, exactly the way it should be done but that pressure was was huge before we went into this how are we going to come out of it is going to be very interesting i think the government's going to have to really come to the party on both for the, the workers and for the for the for the business owners because um yeah that pressure's not going away so uh, yeah we'll be I'm looking forward to a whole lot of customers who come in and realise that they can't pour their own beer very well at home and suddenly having <laughs> a newfound appreciation for yeah there's definitely going to be a big pushback of people wanting to to eat out you know like yeah everyone's going to you sort of I mean obviously none of us have lived through it but they talk about after World War Two and the, the general energy. It's just a shame that we're going to have this framework imposed on us afterwards. We, if, it, if it was just go for it, it'd be, it'd be amazing, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what it looks like. Well, guys, I could, we can sort of see in the background of our monitors there that you've got people coming in and it looks like you're getting ready to, to turn the kitchens on and get things going. So um, we're very appreciative of the time that you've taken today to speak to us about a program that, is absolutely fantastic and as you guys pointed out is different to a whole lot of other venues you know you're really trying to give back to your local community and um i've spoken to a couple of people out in western health in the meantime and they're they're just appreciative of the of the gesture and the generosity of of time and effort that's going into it as well so kudos to you and um we will link to from our instagrams and facebook's through to uh ways that our listeners can 
can purchase some of your great food and, and help a great cause. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Well done, guys. Cheers. Thanks, gents. Appreciate Very it. much appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thank you, boys. Cheers. Thanks. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right. Add over.